Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cycle Breaker is someone that definitely just understands, like, I want better, not just for myself, but I want better for the people around me. I want better for the next generation. I want better for the global community that I'm a part of. I want better for my even my local community or the, the people that are part of my cultural identities, or that share cultural identities with me. And you being that person that understands that you deserve peace and you deserve a different legacy for yourself, for your children and for your children's children and everybody that comes thereafter, that in and of itself makes you a cycle breaker. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand What makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the podcast. On the Heal blog this week, you will find Cycle Breakers, my chat with Dr. Marielle Bouquet. The link is in the show notes. You know, sometimes I open my computer and I receive the most beautiful gift, a notification that somebody has left a review. It doesn't happen every week, but when it does, I sit and quietly send thanks to the person who sent it. Because when somebody says great things about this podcast and then somebody else reads it, 
it can bring a brand new listener in and it allows me to know that what I'm doing every day is worthwhile and it validates every single one of my guests who has taken the courage and time and energy to share their story. I recently received the most incredible review and I wanted to share a part of it with you because it completely made my heart sing. It reads, this podcast is like homework for me. Almost every episode is chock full of nuggets of wisdom and insight. It completely blows my mind that this is free. I would honestly pay a subscription if I had to in order to keep listening. Over the last two days since discovering this podcast, I have listened to about 15 episodes and there were maybe three episodes that I skipped because they didn't resonate. The guests are just amazingly articulate and have been through hell and back. And so the sense of solidarity and strength I feel when listening is such a gift. If they survived, I know I can. And the interviewer. I have no clue who this lady is, but she is amazing. She asks the perfect questions, gives an infinite amount of space to let the guests speak and ties up loose ends so that everything hangs together cohesively at conclusion. I simply cannot recommend this podcast highly enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A big thank you to Feral Dream from Canada for your review. I just wanted you to know that I appreciate you. This week, I am so honored and excited to have had the chance to sit down and chat with Dr. Marielle Bouquet, who is a bright, shining star and leader in the trauma space, and to now be sharing this conversation with you. Dr. Marielle gained her doctorate in counseling psychology from Columbia University. She is now a trauma psychologist and the author of Break the Cycle, a guide to healing intergenerational trauma, which you definitely need to put on your list of must reads. The link is in the show notes. But what really stands out for me in this chat is that when Dr. Marielle was studying her degree, the clinical model that all psychologists train under to become therapists. These learnings were not based on a trauma model. Dr. Marielle speaks of students sharing the same types of stories over and over of trauma repeated over generations and passed from one generation to the next. But the words intergenerational trauma were never used in all her years of study And that was less than 10 years ago. That's how new this concept of intergenerational trauma is. And it's worth really absorbing that fact because realistically, we are the first generations to really have access to understanding how generational trauma is passed down how we can feel it and heal it and what it means for our children and their children and all the generations that follow. For the first time in history, we are right here and we have a golden opportunity to break the cycles for our families. And that is an honor and a privilege. You are going to love everything that Dr. Marielle shares in this very important episode. Please join me now for Dr. Marielle Bouquet's story. Dr. Marielle Bouquet, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for our chat today. You are a licensed psychologist and an intergenerational trauma expert, and you infuse ancient and indigenous healing practices such as sound bath, meditation, and breath work into your therapy framework. You're the author of the book, Break the Cycle, an important and comprehensive guide for healing intergenerational trauma and stepping into a legacy of abundance and peace. You are well known for your beautiful tea sessions on Instagram, where you share the tea and tips on breaking the cycles. Today, we are going to get all of our questions on intergenerational trauma answered. But first, I'd love to dive a little bit into your own story. How would you describe yourself as a child? 
Wow. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Also, thank you very much for having me and for just being willing to have the conversation about generational healing. Me as a child, I was very much shy and withdrawn and one might say introverted. And my mother always tells the story of when I was still a toddler and the neighbors had actually mentioned to her that she she didn't even know that she had a, a a kid in the home because it was just so quiet. I never cried. I was always just so somber. So I was always a very, very like even keel, quiet, introverted, somber, withdrawn kid. And and it it really that temperament followed me throughout almost all my life. And now I have to step a little bit out of that introversion in order to do my work, but but certainly that's been where I where I first started off. Yeah. So did you feel a lot of love in your home? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the the one thing that I do believe kept my my family perhaps one might say like intact enough growing up because recently I was actually having a conversation with my father. I have conversations with my parents about intergenerational healing all the time, as you might imagine. And in having this conversation with him, he was reflecting upon what he had inherited in his family. And he mentioned to me that the common thread that he saw between what he inherited and what he gave to us was that there was an inheritance of love. So there were other things that were missing and there were other things that we had to, in essence, learn to give each other now as adults, but the love was always present for sure. And that is incredible just to have that love there. Marilyn, you were born in the Dominican Republic and you migrated to the US when you were five years old. You described growing up in poverty and the deep intergenerational poverty that runs in your family. Can you tell mm-hmm. us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, poverty is trauma. And the reason why I see it as such is because there are so many ways in which poverty strips you of your humanity and your capacity to really, you know, feel worthy, feel like you have a sense of safety, worthy of love, right? Like there's so many things that poverty instills in us psychologically and um, it, it can be very traumatizing and that's not even taking into consideration the ways that poverty strips us of resources and so for on both sides of my family both my maternal and paternal side there have been uh, deep histories of of poverty in the Dominican Republic there is what we globally know as deep poverty where people really you know can even not survive in, you know, and and actually lose their lives because they don't have meals to eat. And so that's the, the, the level of poverty that I descend from. And it's, you know, it's one in which people have to live in perpetual survival mode. So when I talk about intergenerational trauma, I I talk about it from the perspective of having even a personal understanding of the, the different ways in which for generations we could be in survival mode in one family unit. Yeah. And poverty creates a a deep scarcity mindset, doesn't it? And there's so much guilt around money. How did those beliefs play out for you as you grew into an adult, do you think? You know, it still plays into my life and it is a cycle that I am breaking on a continuous basis because it always plays the background of how I engage in a money mindset. For example, I have found myself recently doing a lot of things at no cost just because I I would like to help. And I keep forgetting help is actually my profession. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to I have to wonder, you know, to what extent is it that my perceptions of worth or, you know, conversations about money, which are always very uncomfortable for me, to what extent are any of those things playing into how I'm deciding to negotiate my fee? And, and so it, you know, it, it's, it's an ongoing process. I'm way better at it. And I 
can stand pretty firmly whenever I propose my fee to folks, but it it is something that is is just so hardwired that the undoing of it requires two things. It requires that I unlearn, but it also requires that I have an element of compassion for myself for how deep, you know, that that programming runs through me. And and it also helps me to develop compassion for others when I'm working with other people on breaking cycles and and I see them perhaps like tumble back into the patterns that they consciously know aren't good for them and they're consciously trying to break but unconsciously we have a, a host of different messaging and um that messaging sometimes just if it goes uncontested it can actually feed us back into the cycles that we're trying so hard to break and is it really just practice like in in this case like if you're trying to break that that mindset that deep mindset around money is it really just continuing to take another step in a, a new direction yeah it's it's training and retraining and retraining for sure so that's a big part of it now the training and retraining has to happen at multiple levels so when i talk about generational trauma i always try to help people understand that the level of wounding usually is and it's not just layered because it happens through generations it's layered because generational trauma is known to be a wounding of the soul which means that it you become wounded in your mind in your thoughts in your emotions in your body meaning that whatever trauma you experience is also being recognized by your body and interpreted and metabolized inside of your body and you get stress and tension pockets that represent a stressed and traumatized body and then also in your spirit in the ways that you connect with others in the ways that you connect with yourself in the relationships that you hold to all the universal elements of life it's in all of that so when we're talking about healing we're talking about healing in mind body and spirit always because the wounding has happened on all of those levels and so the healing must also happen with a multi-level approach and that's why it's not easy right mm-hmm. it's why it's why it takes time because there is so many layers to it and yeah. when you immigrated to the US at 5 years of age your father was not able to come with you and be a part of your life until you turned 21 because of immigration law mm-hmm. why why was he unable to be in the US you know he came for on a visa for 2 years and visited us and came and stayed with us and we were family again but then the visa he was supposed to be here to in essence like stay to procure his residency and he didn't get it in time so he had to return back to wait for it in the Dominican Republic but then that became a 10 year separation thereafter and this is uh, something that is really common in immigrant communities where we have one or both parents that aren't present because of immigration law because immigration law you know it, it vacillates it changes and it creates a disruption in the lives of families and in the the connection that families can have with one another and it certainly did happen to mine and it really was just you know my father having to await his US residency and for some people it would come sooner than others it came sooner for my mother and my sister and I than it did for my father but unfortunately the gap between us and him was about 15 16 years and so it was a very long time which meant that the entirety of my childhood with the exception of those two years were were basically lived without my dad it's so unfair the immigration system isn't it i mean it's mm-hmm. it's exactly the same where i live and it's so set around rules and and there's nobody stepping in and saying but what about the actual people here yeah. this is a family how do we how do we make this work better so mm-hmm. how did not having a dad around affect you growing up well you know for the one of the the more logistical ways in which it affected myself and my sister was that we didn't have that added protection and income present and so when we're talking about generational poverty and we're talking about not being able to move the needle on that because now only one parent is present working for everyone 
then, you know, it, it becomes pretty evident that something like immigration policy contributed to the perpetuation or the continuation of trauma within my family unit. And that's why when it comes to generational trauma, I always tell people, listen, we have the mind, body, and spirit, but we also have the culture, the society at large. We have collective traumas that are amassed by groups of people, immigrants being one groups of people, right? That is, is also a part of how trauma is perpetuated. And then it continues down the family line because now you have myself, my sister, my mother, and my father, two generations that have already had that, that multi-generational suffering of immigration trauma or immigration and poverty trauma. And so we have to basically make the connection between all of the systemic nuances, injustices, practices, and the ways that it impacts families for the long term from, from a trauma perspective. And I suppose as a, a little child, your understanding of what's going on, I mean, somebody can explain to you, oh, you know, your dad can't be here because of these reasons. But as a, a little child, it's really just dad's not here. Like it's, yeah. there's, it's an abandonment really, isn't it? It is. And it's a complicated abandonment. Just like, you know, I would call it a version of a complicated grief because it is a, a parent that is not present but desires to be. A parent who isn't present but is writing you letters because now, you know, I'm I'm nearly 40, so we're talking a number of years ago, right, when we actually didn't have uh, a lot of access to international calling back then when you had, you know, like more antiquated phones. And and so we we would send letters to each other and photographs to say, like, this is what I look like now, you know? And so the fact that you had all of that love and desire to be present and desire to not be forgotten and yet there was nothing you could do about it that's another way in which complicated grief enters families through this process yeah so much grief there and do you think that that abandonment is still a trauma that you hold now i would say that in my early adulthood i definitely had to grapple with what it meant to have relationships with men that were potentials or intimate partners and feel that that sense of void around my father's not not being present so you know i because i've been so fortunate to be a psychologist and work so much on myself and then do so much of the work it isn't something that i struggle with currently but it did, I believe, create some fracturing in my earlier relationships as I was emerging into my adult life. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. at some point you got involved in volunteering in your local community. How did yeah. that come about? You know, I actually, I think that, you know, it, our subconscious mind is, is fascinating because I wanted to be a reporter. And so I went into media as my first career. And the reason why I wanted to be a reporter was because growing up, my dad was a reporter in the Dominican Republic and I wanted to be like him. I think it's, you know, the way that psychologically I could be close to him by mm. being like him. And, and so, you know, when I got into the media world, I was very dissatisfied with the work and I actually didn't want to spend, you know, my, my, free time doing anything but helping others. And so that's what I, you know, started to do. And eventually that led me down the path of doing work that was more mental health centered. And it gave me an opportunity to see that I could help my community in that way. And, and it was really kind of the part of the initiation process of getting me to where I am now. But it was in part because, you know, I followed that dream that was basically me just trying to gain closeness to my father. And, you know, the media just wasn't the place where I felt joy. Psychology is. It's it's finding a sense of purpose, isn't it? I mean, you can have the most amazing career, but if you don't feel any kind of purpose or connection in that, then it's it's not really going to give you anything. It's not going to light your fire, I suppose. And I think mm -hmm. we're all here to find our purpose. So what were you seeing in that community at that time? What were you learning from that community? Well, I was learning that people were 
in a lot of uh, emotional pain that was part systemic and part individual or personal or family-based. Regardless of whether there was a combination of personal and family and, and systemic, like, or if it was just one or the other, people were winding up in places that felt like almost like a dead end. Some of the work that I started doing primarily were with young adults that had been displaced from their homes and had aged out of the foster care system and had been transitioned into transition homes and were trying to find their way and trying to find their identity and trying to find love and trying to find family and figuring out life maybe for the first time ever because really the the ways that their lives had been prior had been filled with chaos and a lot of family dysfunction and and also you know filled with a lot of other things like community violence or you know them feeling really out of place in certain spaces or the education system failing them and so it was like both systemic and personal and there were like a number of different stories from all of these young minds that you know started really impacting me and i i I, I started seeing, okay, well, the common thread is that people are really suffering and they're, they're struggling to find their way out of the ashes of this destructive past. And there is opportunity here for me to be able to help. I know my community. I don't know everyone and I don't know everything about my community, but I know things. I've, I grew up 23 years in that community. And so I was like, I could be a solid person to really bring some healing back. Mm. So why not? Why not try? Yeah. So was that your first understanding of generational trauma? Was that the first time that you really saw it in action? Not quite. You know, I just, I was just seeing emotional pain, but Mm. generational trauma actually came to me when I was working I was at Columbia Medical Center. I trained there and then I worked there when I graduated. And when I trained there, I was uh, training in my clinical rotation. So I was seeing my own patients. And in some of our, what we call like clinic team meetings, we would have these discussions about some of the people that we would be working with that presented with histories or some difficulties in their lives that we needed our fellow colleagues to like help us brainstorm solutions or ways to actually help the person. And in every team meeting, and I'm I'm talking about for years, the stories felt the same. It was a different person that we were talking about, a different clinician that presented the case, but it was the same story. Like, you know, we would have Maria who would come from a home where, you know, she had a a, a intimate partner violence and her mother had the same trajectory in her relationships. And so did her, her grandmother. And so like there were all of these common threads and people just continue to talk about these stories, but no one was actually saying generational trauma at all. Not a soul. I didn't hear it in my five years there. I didn't hear it once. And so I, you know, I came across the text of Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score, and the text of Resma Menicum, My Grandmother's Hands. And between those two texts, and then beyond that, it, I came upon It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. And I started just digging and digging and digging. And a lot of these texts had some element of generational trauma or generational healing reflected within. And that's when I started to realize, okay, you know, there's a name for this. We are just not bringing it into these clinical spaces and we're actually not helping from this lens because we are not trained to do so. The the clinical model that we're trained under as therapists, as psychiatrists, as nurse practitioners, as physicians, none of us are trained under a trauma model and none of us are specifically trained under a generational trauma model. So nobody knew what we were working with. We were just telling the stories that we were hearing in the therapy room and not really assigning it some sort of a category so that we could gain a better understanding of what we were really working with. Wow. So how long ago was that? 2014. So, yeah. So I think by the time that my book, Break the Cycle, comes out, it will be an exact 10 years. 
sense. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's not very long ago, is it? Like no. it, it's not very long ago. And so has that changed in the way that psychologists are trained? Has there anything changed in those 10 years or are they no. still working on the old models? Still. Oh, gosh. As far as I know, I stopped teaching about three or four semesters ago. And up until that time, I brought in trauma text into my classroom, but it is not the standard at all. There mm-hmm. is no, there is, you know, in, in the psychological associations that we have, there is a trauma chapter and there are people that kind of now are perhaps given more space to talk about trauma, but traditionally it had just been like division of trauma and blah, blah, blah. And if you had an interest in trauma, you would go to that division and maybe learn from some of your colleagues and dive into some texts. And that would be, you know, your trauma world, or you would be trauma trained in a a specific trauma modality, EMDR, prolonged exposure therapy, and like others. But there has not been a universal, we must train clinicians to understand trauma and the functions of trauma in their lives and the environmental factors that deposit trauma into their lives so that we can help them better in a more holistic way. That is not the norm at all. Wow. That's kind of terrifying, actually, isn't it? When you think about it, it's terrifying. And when we start to change those things, we're going to be changing the world, but it's, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah, it's quite scary to think that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I mentioned earlier about your Instagram account and sharing the tea. I believe Mm -hmm. the healing tea is something that came from your grandmother's love of tea as a healing medicine. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about your grandmother? Yes, absolutely. Oh, my grandmother, her name was Duduna. And she was a very, very petite woman, four foot five. And she had a big personality. And, you know, one time actually not very long ago, just a few years back, my mother was making a tea and she always makes tea at like for as long as I can remember. And especially when we're sick, that's her thing. And I never really appreciated the, the fact that she made teas, how they functioned and how they actually worked to make us well. But the fact that there were certain aromas that I wasn't really picking up in the teas. And this one time I actually did. And I remember that the reason why I picked up the aroma was because the tea smelled like lemongrass, which was my favorite scent to actually use in aromatherapy. And my mother told me, you know, a story about my grandmother, how she used to use that same lemongrass tea to actually help heal a lot of ailments and sicknesses that her children would have. And my mother learned from her own mother how to help heal with tea. And so my mother was passing on that knowledge onto me. And I thought, you know, my mother always tells me every time that you're going to go out and serve, meaning when you're going to go out and help people, if you're going to go do a workshop, if you're going to do a talk, if you're going to, you know, even in the times when I was doing therapy, she would always tell me, like, just remember that you have to, you know, like, ask for the wisdom and prudence and guidance to be able to hold space for whoever it is that has decided that you are the person to help them. And I I feel like it's like such a different way to approach therapy where it's, to me, it's like an honor to serve 
another person in that way rather than I'm just your therapist and I'm giving you therapy. Like, no, you like your whole life is literally mm. being deposited, you know, into my hands for me to help you sort it out. Like that's that's major, you know, it's a, it's a really big deal as I see it. And I and I don't take that lightly and I feel very honored to do that. So what what I decided that I was going to do with with tea in a m more public way was the the little therapy nuggets that I would be like providing folks. I thought, you know, during the pandemic everyone was feeling like isolated and lonely. I thought, let me just break the fourth wall. Let me just like kind of like almost like if I were to reach out through the Instagram screen and say, "Hey, come, let's have tea." And so that's what I did because that's what we do at my home. We have tea. Yeah, it's beautiful and it's so inviting. I just see you on there coming for the tea and you always you always have some beautiful new cups or instruments <laughs> or I don't know, like there's always something gorgeous there. I'm like, oh my gosh, she makes tea look so appealing. <laughs> so your grandmother made these beautiful teas and there's so many healing things, aren't there, that that we have in, in all of our cultures around healing. But was it part of your culture to talk about mental health? No, not at all. And I think that if, if it would have been, I probably would have figured out that I would have wanted to be a psychologist very early on in my life mm. rather than this be, you know, a second career. Mental health is, it holds a stigma and it, it holds a, an element of silence throughout the world, but it definitely is the case in the Latinx community and it made it so that many of the issues that were permeating through my family weren't really discussed. They were kind of brushed under the rug. And now we have such open dialogue that I think if someone were to actually peek into my family's living room, they would be like, who are these people? <laughs> because we are so open about conversations that are really hard and traditionally have produced a lot of shame in us, mm -hmm. but we have been willing to have the conversations that are courageous and are multi-generational and take into account all the things, right? Like ways in which my father has embodied elements of his own masculinity that didn't serve him or us. Ways in which my mother would have responded perhaps with a, a harsher tone to folks whenever she felt like her buttons were being pushed and how she modeled that to us and how I, you know, had a similar nervous system structure to the ways that she did, like all the things. And, and we can have these conversations in a way that humanizes each of us rather than hurts us or further shames us. But it is, it has taken a very long time. I think, you know, most people, we want it resolved right away because we just don't want to feel the pain anymore. But these conversations have been happening within my family unit for at least a decade. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? And just just the weight that comes off when you talk about that, just being able to sit with family and talk through these things, because some people never, ever get to do that. Yeah. They just, they don't have a family that that want to change or want to do things in a different way. Do you believe mm -hmm. that most people have a level of generational trauma? Now I do. Now I, I used to be a bit more reserved about assigning the title of trauma to basically the world. But I do believe that most of us, even in our lifetime, have some event or series of events that have caused us some level of a, a traumatic experience. Some of us stay in that, some of us don't. Some of us just transition from the experience of trauma and, and are able to surface out of it. And it's not that one person's stronger than the other, it's just, you know, the multiple, multiple factors to consider. But now being the clinician and the scientist that I am, seeing the world as it is now and doing this generational work, I do believe that most of us do hold some element of trauma. And then we have to take into consideration the current world that we're living in as well. We're living in a world where almost all of us, if not all of us, has had some level of grief or some, some version of an emotional pain that was associated with the pandemic. We're also, you know, bracing ourselves for 
what's going to happen to earth, right? So a lot of people are like, you know, just experiencing a lot of natural disasters that are also deeply traumatic and injure or harm or kill a lot of our community members in the process. And so there's so many things that are happening that are also a part of the global culture that is also traumatic. And because we are in such a globalized economy, like everybody is connected in some way or another, now that we have like the world at our phones, it makes it so that vicarious trauma or secondary trauma is very possible for all of us. Absolutely. And you spoke about the way that your family can now speak about things. What do you think were your first steps towards healing your own trauma or healing with your family? Mm. Was it just opening conversation? No, it was messy and ugly and chaotic, like most of us. <laughs> now it looks a little more finessed. And I've also adopted, you know, the same mechanisms that I talk about in my work and in my book. But before it didn't look like that because I actually didn't have a roadmap because there wasn't one. And mm-hmm. so all I knew is that I wanted things to be different. And most cycle breakers, I consider myself a cycle breaker most of us do understand that things cannot remain as they are, that we must disrupt the status quo, that we cannot enter yet another generation of deep, lifelong suffering, that that things have to be different. And as a result, we go off of intuition or whatever kind of internal resources and creativity we can muster up to change and shift and do things differently inside of our family unit, whether that's leaving the home or if that's not feeding into toxic cycles that we understand are a part of our family unit, or if it's erecting boundaries that we understand need to be in place in order for there to be a healthier relationship, or if it's, you know, not rearing our children in the ways that we were reared, like maybe opening up dialogue for emotions for our children in ways that we didn't get to experience. It's like in all of these things that we intuitively before, you know, of course, the some of the recent write-ups and in, in then my book, like we intuitively just knew that we wanted things to feel and look different and that we deserved a better legacy than what we were experiencing even if that wasn't necessarily our parents' desire for us, but they they did what they could and then we just had to pick up from where they left off and like do the rest. Absolutely. I know from my own experience after I had my own kids that I just spent years in unwellness and chronically tired, just just unwell. And I started to understand about the trauma that was driving that and about how the nervous system is affected by trauma. And it was like 4 million light bulbs went off. And I was like, mm. the nervous system, it, it was just so, it was, it was just this huge piece of the puzzle. Can you talk us mm-hmm. through the connection between trauma and the nervous system? Yes, absolutely. So when we're talking about the body element of trauma, meaning like we said, you know, mind, body and spirit is impacted. And so the body is impacted through the nervous system primarily. So our nervous system is always capturing everything that's happening to us. And if something feels either acutely stressful or chronically stressful, acutely meaning, you know, something happened that really disrupted our sense of well-being or threatened our life, like perhaps, you know, an accident, right? Something like that. Or if if it was more chronic, meaning that, you know, in, in your childhood home, like you were constantly psychologically abused, right? Like that that was an ongoing chronic stressor that whenever these things happen, our nervous system is basically set to absorb the stress and understand that a threat is present. And so it prepares itself to fight off the threat. But if it feels like the threat is way too big, meaning acute or way too longstanding, it basically tires out and it defaults into a threat response for the long term, meaning that you're always in this nervous system overdrive and believing that a threat is coming. 
So you're always afraid or always in, you know, in a state of worry or always in a state of sadness. And there's always this like preparation for when, you know, the next thing is going to come that's actually going to threaten your safety. And that's when we can say, you know, your nervous system is in essence, like in a frozen state or defaulted to a nervous system overdrive response. So when we're talking about trauma, a lot of what we're talking about really is being stuck in that nervous system response, which is why I stress so much the fact that when we're working with trauma, it is critical for us to integrate body-based practices that can help us to not only release the tension and the stress and the pre-programming that's in our nervous system, but also like to wire us and wire our nervous system and our neurons and our and even our brains to things that can be healthy and adaptive for us, rewiring to joy rather than to fear. And so that's a critical part of what we do with intergenerational work, especially because generational trauma is the only category of trauma that has that biological element where trauma can be passed down from parent to child. And as kids growing up in trauma, we often don't learn boundaries or perhaps even realize that there's such a thing as boundaries. And having no boundaries allows other people to treat us badly. And often there can be very clear red flags around people's behavior that we don't recognize. How can we start to recognize and take notice that there are red flags around people's repeated bad behavior. You you start noticing it in different levels. I would always urge people to do a check-in with themselves and to do many, but the check-in that you do for it to be multi-layered, right? We're talking about mind, body, spirit. So it's going to be critical to assess what kinds of thoughts you have around certain people. What emotions come up for you when you're close to somebody in your family or in your friendship circle or in your amorous relationships? When it comes to the body, like it's critical that we tune in and get a sense of how our body is responding to people. Sometimes our bodies are really tense when we're around certain individuals and we're just not realizing it. And our bodies can be very telling of what our subconscious mind is trying to, you know, tell us or what our subconscious mind is feeling in reference to someone else. And then it's important that we also assess like from a spirit-based perspective, like what's the quality of our relationships? Do we feel like they lack balance? Do we feel as though they are nourishing? Are they chaotic and tumultuous or are they stable and reflective of peace, right? Like it's going to be imperative that we do almost kind of like a full systematized analysis of us with others and the ways our mind, bodies, and spirits are responding to our relational environments. And listeners of the podcast are here because they're done with generational abuse, abandonment, all the things We want to be the cycle breakers for our families. What are the qualities of a cycle breaker? What makes somebody a cycle breaker? Oh, I love this question. You know, a cycle breaker is, like I mentioned, someone that definitely comes out of like a place of sheer intuition and just understands like, I want better, not just for myself, but I want better for the people around me. I want better for the next generation. I want better for the global community that I'm a part of. I want better for my even my local community or the the people that are part of my cultural identities or that share cultural identities with me. And you being that person that understands that you deserve peace and you deserve a different legacy for yourself, for your children and for your children's children and everybody that comes thereafter. That in and of itself makes you a cycle breaker. Now, you take steps outside of that to then create the setup for cycle breaking work, but you already determining that you have to disrupt the status quo and break through the cycles that have existed already puts you in the category of cycle breaker, which I am so grateful that I get to be in in an era and a generation where I get to witness a lot of us collectively proclaiming that title and saying like, we are here to shift 
our lineages into intergenerational abundance and not the intergenerational pain that has been so present for us. Absolutely. So what would be one first step that somebody could take towards that? Well, the first thing that would be essential and probably the most essential element of what it would take to continue the path of cycle breaking would be to work on settling your own nervous system. And I know that that oftentimes throws people off because I think people are usually thinking I'm going to go into, well, do this in your relationships. And that's not quite it. Mm. Because if we think about what happens when we are in our worst selves, let's call it for lack of a better term, but when we are like deep in a trigger and we just enact behaviors that don't coincide with our values. Typically what's happening is that your entire body is in an energetic upsurge trying to help you survive that moment. And it's perceiving that everybody that's around you or the person that you're having an argument with, that that person is a threat. That person's the enemy because your body is feeling so overwhelmed by itself that it, it can only see red. So when we're hoping to establish better relationships, we first have to dial back that threat system, that alert system that's telling us that this person is the enemy. First, we need to work on that and settling ourselves with enough repetition so that our bodies can start restructuring to calm and ease and feeling more settled. And then we can enter the conversations that we're having, probably the same conversations, but enter them with a more restored and relaxed and calm and reflective and connecting nervous system than one that is overactive and on fire and disconnecting from others. Oh, yes. Everything you just said, I'm just like, oh, yes, that is exactly it. I totally relate to that. Sometimes we're stuck in families where nobody else wants to heal or even wants to know about healing. So how can we move forward when nobody around us is moving with us? Well, the one thing that I will say is that it is possible because most people feel like they're going back into environments and they feel almost overwhelmed by how powerful the triggers are there. But one thing that is important to remember is that if you work on your own trigger responses and you help yourself to feel less and less and less triggered by the same environment, you would have already done a lot of the work to break these cycles, right? Oftentimes, and more often than not, I, I don't think I've even met a single cycle breaker that doesn't have an environment that they have to step back into that's hurtful or harmful or triggering. The role of the cycle breaker is one, to know that by healing yourself, you're also healing your family in a way because you're not feeding the cycles that are there, but also you're helping yourself to absorb less of the stress and the trauma that's in that environment by helping yourself to settle yourself and settle your mind and your body and spirit more. Mm, I love that so much. And your therapy framework includes many ancient healing practices. I saw you enjoying an incredible water sound bath healing ceremony, which yeah. looked amazing. <laughs> what What are your favorite healing treats? You know, I I love to be in the sauna. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how I love heat and I come from the heat, right? So born right by the beach. And so whenever I'm in the sauna, I feel like I'm, I'm being enwrapped in a warm hug, apart from all the multiple benefits that, of course, that it gives me. So that's one thing that I love to do. You know, tea making has become an actual self-care practice for me. And it's not just something that I kind of produce for, you know, like social media consumption. I actually engage in tea ceremony for myself. Mm -hmm. And it's something that brings me a lot of joy. I take my time with my tea making and, and I savor it. And it's something that, and also just exploring new teas. Like, you know, I went to Mykonos a few years ago and they had like this um, Greek mountain tea that had this very subtle notes and like being able to like explore the world's teas is also something that I, I've been loving a lot in the recent years. 
and has brought me a lot of joy to just kind of get more acquainted with like all the beautiful miracles and plants all around us. And, and I'm really taking to water lately. So water sound baths, but also just floating and just being present with water in a meditative way has been really, really nourishing. Mm, that all sounds so beautiful. Dr. Marielle, you've written an incredible book that is going to be very important to many, many people. It is called Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma. What do you want us to know about your book? Well, the book is very intentionally created as a healing guide for all of us to reference to, work through, practice from, and it is for, it's in essence, my generational gift to all cycle breakers. It's there for us to actually take from the book everything that we need to actually break these cycles. And so my hope is that cycle breakers will feel more equipped to do the work rather than just going off of intuition, which is what we've been doing, mm -hmm. and that there is a roadmap and a strategy and a way that they can gather from this book so that they can have an you know, at least some sort of a template for what to do in most of the circumstances that are connected to generational trauma. Mm, and it's definitely needed in the world, isn't it? And yeah. you call it going from intergenerational trauma to intergenerational abundance, which is such a beautiful term. You can find Dr. Marielle Bouquet on her website at drmariellebouquet.com. And please do go and follow her on Instagram, which is at Bouquet. And there you'll find so many wonderful posts with Dr. Marielle sharing the tea. I'll put all the links to find Dr. Marielle Bouquet in the show notes. Please do go and purchase a copy of Break the Cycle because the best thing that any of us can do on this journey is to learn more and more about how to heal, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's the only way that we can create change. Dr. Marielle, thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor to hear your personal story today and to be able to soak up so much of your beautiful and incredible wisdom. The work you are doing in this space is changing many, many lives mm -hmm. and that's how we change the world. So we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kind words and for having me. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.